Hey everyone, it's Dorian Black. And Ari Hart. And this episode is called Sounds About White, where we are going to get into the discussion of interacting with white folks, as well as white privilege and being black in America. So stay tuned. So guys, this is our episode called Sounds About White, where we are going to be discussing racism, interacting with white folks, and how we just manage black in America. Mm-hmm. You know, in this episode, we do have a lovely guest. How have, y'all doing? We have my good friend, Mr. Khalil. How you doing, guys? All right. So we're going to hop into it. So our first topic is going to be casual racism versus blunt racism. So how do you guys deal with casual racism? Because that seems to be the thing we interact with mostly because nobody's bluntly racist towards us. But we definitely get those little shots like, oh, Mm -hmm. how are you today, black girl? And you're just like, my name is Ari. My name is Doreen. My name is Khalil. You know, I personally feel like being a casual racist versus blunt is way more pussy than just Mm. being outright. Okay, And I feel like it's a little bit more disrespectful because like you're low-key trying to act like you don't feel this way, mm-hmm. but you do. I'd rather you just be upfront, let me know you don't fuck with black people. Like right. don't say little dumb shit on a low and then try to later on say, Oh, well, I have black friends, so mm-hmm. I can't possibly feel that way. Yeah. But people have black children and feel that way. So let's not do that. But for me, just little things that people say like, oh I don't see color mm. and um you know what I mean? Those are little smart racist remarks. Yeah. You know what I mean? And they always try to hide it behind something funny, like, oh, you guys always eating that chicken, always eating that watermelon. Like I have not had a white person say no shit like that to I've me. I've come across yeah, I that. Either. I come across it a lot. Maybe because in the field that I work with, like a lot of the people are older. But I just be like, that, that, just And you eat a lot of unseasoned chicken. So what are we talking about? Right. Here? And I think I think we need to actually start holding them accountable. Like, listen, what you're saying is inappropriate. And right. you know it's inappropriate because mm-hmm. you wouldn't say that if the boss was around. Exactly. Like, you're saying you feel so comfortable with me that you can say these things. No. Right. Like, say how you feel. Or even, you know, the white folks who have black friends and they feel like they can say the N-word. Oh, I don't mean it like that. My thing is a white person, right? Like, if you genuinely give a fuck about black people and you're not racist, you wouldn't even want to say the word, regardless of it being in your favorite music or you having black friends who you hear use it in a, you know, endearing way with other black people. If I'm a genuine white person, Mm -hmm. if I'm a white person that just happens to be white, I'm not going to want to use that word if I really fuck with black people. Right. I wouldn't even be able to justify my mind just because it's in my favorite music that right. I should be able to use it. Right. And just little things like that, I feel is like casual racism. Mm-hmm. It's not, it you know, little microaggressions um, that we see. So when I was in school, I learned something that was, um, I think, important to this topic, which is implicit bias. Mm. So implicit bias is something where it's, it's not um, consciously known that they're aware of that they're doing it. Right. So because it's implicit you know, little things like, oh, this name is black, so I'm not going to hire them because it's a black name. Mm-hmm. It's not at the forefront of their mind, but it's in their consciousness. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I, I agree the casual racism, it, 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 is, it persists, but um, I'm not, I, I think it's more so implicit. Um, but then 
on the other hand, the more outright I'm racist, I don't like black people is what I have a problem with. Okay. Because implicit, yes, you're doing racist things. Mm-hmm. But but actively, are you aware that you're doing racist things? Is, is it a generational thing that's passed down? Like, right. you know, opposed to uh, I'm racist. I know that this is a generational thing passed down. I know where it stems from. And I'm still going to choose to take that action of being racist anyway. Right. So both of them are offensive. Yeah, highly. You know what I'm saying? I'm not I'm not copying plead for any which one. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is um, sometimes people are walking sleep. Mm. Well, you need to get woke, Rebecca. <laughs> wake, yeah, definitely wake up. But like, you know, because I feel like we live in an era of technology and knowledge, and there's no excuse. There's no excuse whether you know your parents or great grandparents or whoever was racist, and that you are subconsciously reflecting those beliefs. Right. I've had encounters with white people who have racist family members, but they are not that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like those are white people who consciously make a decision to no longer be, um, what's, what am I looking at? Like, just no longer decide to be like, like blank or, you know, blind to what is really happening. Mm-hmm. Right. Have so, you guys ever dealt with like blunt racism, like straight up racism? Like someone speaking to you in that term or you seeing someone encounter with racism like directly? Um, the only time I can recall, well, when I was in middle school, I went to like an all white middle school that was in the middle of the woods and I was like one of three black kids and the only white kids used to, you know, my hairstyle wasn't the best, but they used to call me Rosa Parks because of this one hairstyle I had. (laughs) (laughs) And I told my mom, why the hell would you send me to the school with these white kids that are so fucking rude? And, you know, that was my really only encounter. And then one time, um... When I was in college, my one of my good friends, she went to Westchester, and I remember us walking to a party, and I did hear like white person say like "get out of here, niggas!" like out the window. Mm. But you're up on the twentieth floor. You lucky I couldn't get into whatever residential hall you were living in at the time because I would have. And that's about it. You see, but you scary though. That's, screaming the shit out the window. Mm. So I haven't come across that yet, um, but I'm more than aware that it exists. Right. Um, like. I've had heard stories about people who go to Bloomsburg and things like that and getting ran off the highway, uh, ran off the road uh, by people in like um, monster trucks, you know, mm. there. Like, so I mean, outside of where we are, our general location, um, which is, um, can I can I say that? Yeah. yeah, we're in Philly right now. So outside of Philly, it, it does get a little, it get a little, yeah, get a little lot. <laughs> a little lot, a little lot of racism. Yeah. You know, it's a lot of things going on there. Confederate flags, all kinds of mm-hmm. stuff. So people have their, you know, their understandings and where they stand outside of Philly. I just don't see it so much inside of the city because right. um, I think it's just more of us and, and less of them. Yeah. So you know, it's one of those things. And I don't mean to divide the lines like that, but this is what we're talking about today. Right. So um, the city. You know, it's just I don't come across it so often. I haven't come across like someone being like I've dealt more so with casual racism, like the little snarky remarks, mm-hmm. the stereotypes. But to be honest, I don't even know how I would react if I was to deal with blunt racism. Yeah, I think that's a scary thing to yeah. encounter to think about if it were to happen. Yeah, because you think you would have all this it's hard. Art. 
But you're put in a scary predicament because here you're faced with someone who doesn't like you for no apparent reason. And, you know, hate and fear is very scary because I can feel attacked and I might hurt them or they may hurt me. I don't know. But it's a scary thing to think that I may come across. Mm -hmm. And anything now is possible, especially with this Trump America, people feel so bold and so brave to speak and say how they really feel. And just to hear some of the things that are going on and some of the things that are said is like, wow, they really are big and bold. Like for you to even wear the red hat, like that's a bold statement because you can stand in beliefs that go against me and who I am as a person. And now you have this big confidence. You can say it and may try to do anything to me and I really don't know how I would react. Right. That's a scary situation to be put in, regardless. Yeah, I just want racist white folks to know you can get rocked in 2019, (laughs) right? Um, And I'm not going to sit here and say that very ignorant line that people have been saying, like, oh, my... I'm not my ancestors. First of all, our ancestors went through a lot. Yeah. So let's not discredit them. And they didn't put their hands on white folk for good reason. Right. But what we want to say is now we're at a time where we're maybe not as in a much scary place as they were, mm-hmm. where we feel like, you know what? I will take my chances on mm-hmm. possibly right. putting hands. So I just want y'all white folks who are racist out there to know that there are black folk out here who will rock your shit mm-hmm. if you want to be bold. So Choose wisely the areas you decide to do this time. Right. Because you see that fuckery hasn't come to Philadelphia. Right. Or like, I don't know if you guys seen a video with the girl when she was at work at McDonald's and the guy Oh, yes! Like, she, and that's what's so scary because you can't even be black and do your job without somebody feeling so bold and brave to, to attack do that. And it's scary because I'm pretty sure as she was white a white male or a white female he wouldn't have acted that way i mean she she handled her own mm-hmm. like thank goodness but like she said she won't i wouldn't want to go back to work for a company that didn't have my best interest and didn't protect me in a situation like that like how do you guys handle that how do companies handle that when you have to deal with situations like that especially when you have to deal with customers i think it depends on the company I feel like when it comes to jobs like McDonald's and stuff like that, they don't really give a fuck. Mm. But when it comes to more like higher up, like if you're working at a bank or maybe a school or things of that nature, like HR might take it more seriously. Because I've seen my cousin, she works for, she's worked for various banks and she's gotten many racist white people fired. Mm. I just think it's the business itself because let's be honest, like McDonald's probably doesn't value their employees. Like you make, minimum wage right. you can be replaced by a 15 year old tomorrow that needs a job right. you know what i mean so i feel like that's it depends on where you work it's not a strong hr system there right um have you ever uh, this is a new thing uh the guy from taken oh my that? god liam oh yeah, yeah 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 i can't recall his last name but um he went on air live to say that you know one of his friends was raped by a black man or mm-hmm. just a, a black male and he, I understand his rage, but for you to go on air and say you were willing to pick a fight and kill another, any other black person mm-hmm. for this crime, for this crime that took place with this one individual black male, I, I, I would not be watching or participating in anything that he has coming right. out in any theater. And that's unfortunate. Yeah, he's a good. I did like him. Yeah, he's a good actor, right. but but um, he took it. He took it there and. He probably lost a lot of fans, and you know I'm one of the people that he he rubbed the wrong way with that statement. Like, mm. what do you mean by 
Um, you're just gonna. You, he said he was waiting outside of pubs, waiting for a, a one black bastard um, to come out and um, you know go at him so he can he can kill him. So you know that's a strong statement to make over air. Right. Um, and and you know how how do you have the audacity in 2019 to say something like that? So I just was looking at that like it's it still lives, it still breathes. Mm. You know, beneath beneath it's the it's the bedrock of this country. Mm-hmm. Like uh, you can't you can't get away from it. But the sad part about it is it's still prevailing in 2019. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, yeah. And nothing really shocks me anymore with different things, you know, with white people. And, you know, um, I've had my reservations about white folks and, you know, I've always been in white spaces, like Mm -hmm. middle school, like from grades fifth through eighth and then high school. And then as well as college, even though I went to Temple and it is in North Philly, it is still a PWI. Mm -hmm. And I've always had my emotions and people always would say, well, Ariana, it's not okay to feel this way, but don't tell me number one, how to feel. And number two, yes, there is a very small population of woke and aware black, I mean, white folks. Right. Mm-hmm. But let's not ignore that. The vast majority don't fuck with minorities or people of color or whatever the case is. So it's just like, yeah, I have my thoughts because literally most of my encounters with white people has, hasn't been the most positive. Mm. So how are you going to stand here and tell me to like, oh, but not every white person acts that way. And I get that. And I know white people who don't act that way. Mm. But when they show their ass and then people are like, oh, wow, you, you made a point before. I know I did. Like, you can't. It's way more racist white people than it is than, than we have allies if, mm-hmm. if we're being 100%. Right. So I think people just need to stop acting like it's just so far fetched in 2019 that we still have real racist white folks and that these things are happening. Hatred like lives on very long. Like hatred is very hard to kill. And that's Mm. exactly what is going on right now. I feel so, especially when it comes to like our police department, it's scared to hear like some of the experiences black men and black women are going through mm-hmm. when it comes to the police department. Because here is the people who are supposed to protect and serve you, but a lot of them are blunt and racist, mm-hmm. and they'll say it in front of you, and it's like, wow, nobody's holding these people accountable, and they can hide behind a badge and still be who they really are, and it's sad, especially in the times that we are in where black people have the opportunity to be so vocal and you see some changes, but it's not enough. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And like, as far as police, <laughs> I haven't had like any negative experiences. I actually, you know, when I used to work at 7-Eleven on Temple's campus, I had a lot of police officers that I was cool with cause they would always come to the store and like, it was just always kind of like difficult for me to bust it up with them sometimes. Cause I would think about like, somewhere else this is not the circumstance really you know what's so funny with my mom being a police officer i'm a legit terrified of police like i am scared because at any point like not all not saying all cops are bad but just the fact that there are some cops out there who don't care about my intentions and because of the color of my skin they're going to feel threatened. I legit have a fear. Like, Mm -hmm. and I'm terrified. Like when I see them driving past or when I have them come near me, I legit get anxiety. 
Yeah. And it's sad because I shouldn't feel that way, especially for someone who's a protest to protect and serve. It's really sad. There's a lot of things that are supposed to protect and serve and all people, but it doesn't do those things. Right. So I have this one story of this, like I was going to work and I quit a, a lift and the lift guy was a former police officer, but he was a black man. Mm-hmm. And he was saying like, I will willingly pull out my gun and and and, and like shoot. Mm. So he say why? Um, I mean, he was, I think in that he has like PTSD. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that situation, you know, uh, the cops are traumatized too, right? But they're traumatized, but they're supposed to be handled to deal with that trauma, right? Um, in a professional way. This individual man, he was a black man, so so I might be derailing, but um, you know, it just it just the badge itself. Mm-hmm. It's, I don't think it's more so like racism within, but the badge itself promotes um, just like authority, authority, right yeah, and, and and with that authority, um, you know, people fall under all kinds of different. It may be for racist reasons, it may be right. for PTSD reasons, it may be for whatever the case being. But it always feels like there's a threat. Yeah. Um, when they come around, so so I understand what you're talking about, Taylor. Like I, I feel that. Um, I don't know, man. Like it's hard being black it, in America. <laughs> black in America, <laughs> like what do you do with it? Um, how can you like? How has your experience been? As far as being black in America. America? Mm-hmm. So I, sparingly um, came across um, white people. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to public schools all my life. Um, that was in the city, mm-hmm. and then I, I went to HBCU. Um, in Atlanta, uh, Morehouse College. So I didn't see a whole ton of white people in my experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I do engage them, when I do come across them, I, what I try to do is I try to put not so much my best foot forward towards them, but just inter- interact in such a way that. I put an impression upon them to to change their perspective on another black man that they may come across. Okay. Um, because t- to fall into the same stereotype, I mean, I can do it, mm-hmm. right? I can I can act a fool. I'm not saying that blacks act a fool, right? But I can act my I can act my environment, right? And what does that do for their general psyche? Oh, that's just another black man acting yeah. fucking retarded. You know what I'm right, saying? Right. So it doesn't help the case. Right. right. It doesn't help the case. Now, if I'm acting in a respectful and, and, and intelligent and, and mindful manner and they're still being ignorant, then that just shows a lot about them right. and not, not so much about me. So what I'm learning to to do is to, to, to be even cut with them. You know, just how they're even cut with us. You right. know what I'm saying? Like they, they're, they approach us in a certain way. I approach them in a certain way, and, um, you know, I don't. Unless a friendship is established, I don't give them any more than hey, hi, right. manners, and it's not because I'm trying to kiss up, but because I don't want to. I don't want to continue to promote the stereotype that you already right. have about blacks. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, guys, I think we're making a lot of good points. But with that being said, we're going to make our way to my segment of the show, which is Matters of the Heart.
Hey guys, it's your girl Arby Hart with my segment of the show, Matters of the Heart, where I give you a book, movie, or TV show that pertains to today's topic. So with the topic today being Sounds About White, I want to talk about Dear White People on Netflix. Um, You know, when this show originally came out, first it was a movie and now it's a show on Netflix, I thought, wow, like this is such a great platform because you don't really have a lot of things that directly address white people. And I think this show has so many different dynamics. It has like all different types of black people, biracial, light skin, dark skin, struggling with not only themselves and their identity, but also like conforming to those white spaces. And I think college in particular, you know what I mean? is even that much harder. Like, cause once a lot of black people, really meet those white spaces once they get to college and like you have to kind of learn how to navigate them like oh hey how am I dressing how am I presenting myself how am I talking in class and I think the black students in that show they are all just facing different things like one of the main characters she's a biracial woman who's very pro-black but she's dating a white man you know then you had a scene in the show where you know they were at a party and the cops just pulled out a gun on a black student and it kind of just showed like wow being black is already difficult but then when you add like white people to the mix it's like okay now I have to like find a way to accept my blackness but also be in these spaces with these people who are casually racist who are blunt and who don't really accept me and I think this show just really touches on so many different aspects of like racism and privilege like from the lows to the highs of it and just shows us like that being black and learning how to adapt and like mold yourself for those particular settings is very difficult and you see a lot of people yep sounds about white act and roll just typical what we would believe uneducated like unwoke white people would behave so with that being said this is your girl Ari Hart with Matters of the Heart So for the next topic of discussion, we're getting into white privilege. And I can say that I've definitely seen white privilege up close and personal, especially in the work field. They feel like the white candidate is most reliable for the position. And I've seen a study that 50% minorities have to submit 50% more of applications just to be qualified for an application. Mm -hmm. And I've seen that, like, just applying for jobs, period. As soon as I walk through the door, they're like, oh, Mm -hmm. that's one against me right there. So then that prevails me to speak extra proper, make sure I have all of my facts, make sure I know what I'm talking about, even though I should be doing these things regardless. It's just with the color of my sketch, I know I had to work twice as hard. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I can agree with that because even as a black person, you already feel like you have to be really, really on your game when you're applying to a job. Because mm-hmm. like even for the job I have now, I've even shared this like with my assistant principal. I told her like how when I applied, you know, I made sure like my hair was, I mean, I always wear my hair in a bun, but I made sure my bun was extra neat that day. And I would normally wear my nails long, so I cut them down. And I just tried to really make sure I was fitting the most, what I believe to be professional um, image. And I do think sometimes when I submit my application, oh, I might not get this because I'm black. I've said that to myself over other jobs that I've gotten. Mm -hmm. And And I've been lucky where I've gotten hired places and I haven't, you know, really faced feeling like, oh, you know, I'm not wanted. 
because I'm black or, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? But that is a concern for us. You know what I do? Don't judge me. Like, if I'm applying for a job and I see if it says more than one race, I'll click on more than one race instead of black because I know hopefully this will give me the opportunity to most likely get the job. But they would be like, okay, she's got that white in her. Maybe she's a little more proper, a little more well-spoken. But see, that's the thing. I don't want to be somewhere where I got to click that. Right. You know what I mean? I want to be somewhere where it's okay that I'm a black person. Right. And because if I'm uncomfortable on a racial level in my work, my place of work, then that's going to be an issue for me. And I'm definitely not going to be happy in that right. environment. And if people really sit there, and that's just sickening to think like, oh, that person got a little bit more white in them, so they might be X, Y, and Z. Like, you but know, that's still- I've seen very unprofessional white people. And just because you're white, you don't have all the professional skills for a job either. But see, we come across that a lot where we have colleagues who are white and they don't fit the requirements. And you have people who work, who are black who like work twice as hard and they get the same equal pay. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow, I have qualifications and I've been here longer and I have X, Y, and Z, but yet y'all just made him my manager. Right. And it's upsetting. And it's like, yeah, you want to be in a place where you're always going to be comfortable in your race, but it's hard. Mm-hmm. Especially when you're looking for a job to survive and make a living. Mm-hmm. It's hard. I think one thing that's not being spoke about and when we talk about white privilege is the privilege to decide who you encounter with. Because that's what it pretty much boils down to, right? Like, I'm going to decide this guy because he looks like me over mm-hmm. this person because they look like they look black or they're mm-hmm. black um, simply because I had that power to decide. Right. right. So I think when we talk about white privilege, that's another thing that we because a minority is, yeah, we can decide who we're going to hang with. Right. But we don't have the financial power or we don't have the we're not in um, high places of authority to decide who gets what, who, what trickles down where, mm-hmm. who gets hired, who doesn't. In most cases, um, I'm not saying that, you know, that's not a generational thing. I mean, not a generation, but that's not a thing across the board. But for the most part, you know, they're holding those those seats. So they're the gatekeepers to decide who has what and, and where. Mm-hmm. So um, that's just that's another thing that, you know, is just a piece uh, a tribute to their racism or that the, uh, implicit bias where it's like I would rather hire somebody who looks like me than hire somebody who looks like uh, black or Indian or, mm-hmm. or or any other you know uh, culture or, or you know ethnicity, due to the fact that the, the pre notions that I have about them, right. you know, so it's that's you know that's how I kind of look at it. that's a portion of white privilege, the ability to decide who gets what and where and how the, the pie is sliced in any given situation, mm-hmm. um, because yeah. they are the minorities, you know, mm-hmm. unfortunately speaking in this in this country. I will say in this country, because if we go to a different country, it won't be the case. But um, in in more of them are the same, right? So you know that's just something I was thinking about, something I wanted to speak on. Yeah, and also when we think about white privilege, I think it's important to talk about too how white privilege is like being comfortable. Like I have the ability to be comfortable when I am in certain settings and not be concerned about certain interactions Mm -hmm. like as a black person when you walk into certain stores you're automatically you automatically don't have that privilege to be comfortable you automatically might feel like oh i might be followed in this store Mm -hmm. right um there's like a list actually i think i think it's called the invisible knapsack and it gives like a list of 
white privileges, like, and most of those things on that list, you can't really check with unless you're like a white person. Like, you know, they say like, you know, I'm like, I have the, um, like, I'm fortunate enough to like be in a room and not uh, like have to speak for my whole race. Like Mm -hmm. white people have that privilege, right? Like they don't have to speak for their whole race, but as a black student, for instance, if you're, if you're in college and you're in all all white class, Mm -hmm. you are looked to as that person to speak. Like I've been that way when I was even going to temple, like, Oh, black girl, Mm -hmm. how do you, how do your people, I don't, I don't know. Cause the black experience is unique to everybody. Yeah. You know, also like white people have like the privilege to like, find um like band-aids that are their skin color like mm-hmm. just little stuff like that like you have all these privileges that might not even sound like that big of a deal but it is mm-hmm. like the fact that there are people who have to have to go out their way to make diverse band-aids you know what i mean like it shows like white privilege is literally in every it's ingrained in everything it's ingrained you know what i mean and they just don't realize they just don't realize that. And then it, that's when it's kind of irritating that when something does belong to like another group of people, like blacks, Hispanics, mm. Asians, it's such a big deal that y'all can't be a part of it. Sorry, no, you can't say the N-word to that rap song. You know what I mean? No, you can't. Sorry that affirmative action doesn't apply to you when you're applying to school. Like, I'm so sorry. No, you cannot have um, a national, like a white student union Mm -hmm. like everything is white so yes black students have that yes asian students have that you don't get to have that and blame blame your people's like history for why y'all cannot have those things unique to your group because you've taken things from so many other groups that now these groups have to have something advocating for them so no you don't get a white history month because every month belongs to you you know what i mean february is for us Hispanic Heritage Month is another month. Like, y'all get every other month of the year. Right. So, And even for them to feel some type of way about those things is like, that's just another way to oppress me because I only have this small piece. Mm-hmm. And then even for you to try to take and take part into it, that's another way of you oppressing me and my culture. Exactly. The fact that you have to come and take that too. And I feel like... Even, like when it comes to white privilege, it's all how we're portrayed. Because even when you see it in the media, when they're talking, you have the same story: one black, one white young teen faces charges after defending themselves, whereas young thug faces charges mm-hmm. in a murder. And, and I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, because it's every time, especially mm-hmm. when we have a, a a crisis in America when it comes to mass shooting, with and most of them are white. Mm. You know, that you may come across an African American who <laughs> let's talk about it. Who, let's talk about it. Who um are doing terroristic acts, and nine times out of ten they are white men. And I think that's why the issue with gun control is such a head-on collision because white people don't want to take accountability that some of these actions are held because they have these loose gun laws, and nine times out of ten is white men mm. who are doing these things. Yeah, and that brings me to that conversation. Let's first talk about, like, go back to what you just said about, you know, the mass shootings and stuff like that. Um, Y'all always want to say white person having mental illness. Ain't that much mental illness in the goddamn world, okay? (laughs) Then everybody else should have mental illnesses, too, when they shooting shit up. But it's only y'all that got the mental illness. And, I mean, to an extent, being evil and being 
racist is a mental illness. I do want y'all to know that. So maybe right. that does make sense. But no, you cannot be mentally ill every time you want to go shoot something up. Maybe you are just a horrible person. Right. And I just feel like we need to, like, it's not fair that y'all get to have that story right. of something's a mental illness. It's, you know what I mean? And like, when we talk about serial killers, mm-hmm. I used to be very into like serial killers and just like researching them. And I remember, I mean, I looked this up a while ago, so I, the numbers may have changed, but like, I have read that like 86% of serial killers are white. Mm-hmm. So 86%, more than half of the serial killers out here are white. Right. And another thing I want to bring up, like a lot of, this is like, a lot of people's argument when it comes to that discussion is that black people kill more black people than white people do. First of all, black crime is institutionalized off of white racism. Uh, This goes back to just Jim Crow separating us to put us in small confinement areas and just mentally any person, whether you're white or black, if you were put in those predicaments and had to make a living for yourself, you would be on the same page. And exactly. you got to think about all of the crimes that were placed into black communities, like drugs, because drugs didn't just come out of nowhere, mm-hmm. you know. And it just when it comes to that argument, no, it's not the same when white people do it, when black people do it, because this stems from years of racism. This is based off a of racist institution. You can't say that that's a form of white privilege. Right. So that's just my opinion. There's so many forms of white privilege. The one I want to speak about right now is more so like generational wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it when it when I think of privilege, um, most times it's I can get what I want, I can buy what I want, um, and then I have you know the means to go get that. When you look at the separation between blacks and whites. Mm-hmm. Um, blacks get paid more per dollar than white. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Yeah. Reverse that. Mm-hmm. Whites get paid more per dollar than blacks. Mm-hmm. Um, so already you're getting financially, um, you're getting that leg up financially already. And then if you add that with, you know, just simply passing down wealth, just mm-hmm. simply, um, you know, the know-how, the ingenuity. Um, I'm not fighting that on whites. I'm just saying that it's there. And it's it's a it's a the best kept secret, um, because a lot of black people don't know how to go about you know. First and foremost, they're not even at the table. The conversation is not even it's not right. So the conversation is not even brought to their to that. They're not even in that arena. First of all, right. second of all, if they were in that arena, um, they're not privy to everything that the 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 next man is. When I right. say the next man, the white man, mm-hmm. because they um, keep things secret for their benefit. What do I mean? Um, uh, I don't want to go too too much into it financially. Speak your peace, brother. Could I? <laughs> go ahead. All right. So if somebody passes away, uh, an estate has to be liquidated. Mm-hmm. Um, that um, That's pretty much the probate situation. Blacks aren't too keen on how to deal with liquidating a, a, right. a, a, a uh, an estate. Mm-hmm. They don't know what to do with Let's say if there's a real estate in that estate, mm-hmm. they don't know how. It, like, there's so many different turning pieces financially. We don't know about credit. Right. Um, that's not taught in schools. We don't even have an economics class in in in, in you know public schools. Right. But when if you go to a suburban school, that's part of their curriculum. Yeah. That's so a- it's 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 already putting uh, whites 
ahead, a, a step ahead from from Jump Street. Mm-hmm. And then if you look at it, you know, I'm going to go even further. I feel like I'm on a rampage right now. <laughs> um, so if you take the the concept of um, the pipeline theory, mm-hmm. where they're testing these kids in inner and in urban in urban areas, um, their SAT scores and their the benchmark scores, and they're determining how many prisons they should build no, based off right. of that. Off of that, uh, that's already setting them up to go to prison, right? Mm-hmm. Of course. So if you're not even teaching them economics, which is we're we're an economic country, we're a capitalistic society, right? If you're not teaching them economics, but you're basing your economics off of, off of the failures of your inability to teach them, right? Okay, black man. You know, your inability to <laughs> teach them uh, or teach them correctly, so you're building a whole economic system of prison mm-hmm. based off of your inability to teach them. I think that's that's pretty faulty on there. And I mean, but of course, it's it's very faulty. And that's just, again, it boils down to what I said earlier. Who get If you're not at the table, you don't decide what happens. If you're not present in the room, you don't know what's going on. Right. So... And they don't want to know, and 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 they don't want to know, and then uh, it's like, it's, it's it's all convoluted. It's bad. It's a very bad thing. So when I think of uh, of you know, um, this Moffat, a lot of things, thoughts come to mind because I'm so aware of how this how it all trickles down. Like we are at the bottom of the totem pole. Right. And we're at the bottom of the totem pole for two reasons: for social reasons. Mm-hmm. That's racism, that's implicit bias, that's active racism, that's institutional racism. But then on the other end, we're not taught finances. Right. So we live in a social economic society where both have to play hand in hand. It's not it's not a, a one a one dance, mm-hmm. you know? So, you know, when I look at this Mofa, those are the thoughts that come to my mind because uh, we're being torn down from both angles. Right. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, that's that's just my thought process on it. Yeah, and I think finances, unfortunately, is a root to a lot of problems in the black community. Yeah, even down to like, um, black relationships. Mm-hmm. So when you really think about that, it can make a lot of sense to why we struggle in various areas. Mm-hmm. Now, but, not putting it on us, I think it has to stem from not being taught it. Right. right? Yeah, and because we don't a, have that piece. It's We're not, struggling in multiple areas. Right. Now, socially, we can do better. But if we had economic power, then we can do better. Mm-hmm. Even more better, if you will. So I just feel like, you know, whites respect the dollar. I mean, they yeah, respect the they money, do. you know? So if you're not, if you, they respect Asians. That's yeah. true, because at the end of the day, they'll accept your ass if you got the right amount of money. Right. They may not like you, but they'll definitely accept you. Right. So... Um, we're going to just stop right here for a second, guys, and make our way into Dorian's seg- segment of the show. Say what? <laughs> hey, I'm Dorian Black with my segment of the show called Say What? And this is a part of the show where I say little quotes and sayings pertaining to the topic of discussion. So let's get into it. My goal is to be racially united. Now, in the process of doing that, some people will be incited, 
i.e. upset, because of based on the history of America, it is not good between black and white people. But I want us to try to get past that. That is ultimately impossible. It is impossible until certain people realize that they were born into a certain type of privilege. And it does not matter if you haven't broken any laws or haven't gotten into any trouble. Part of that being, they don't expect you to do anything wrong. And that's just how part of it is. Sandra Bland. With that being said, ladies and gentlemen, each day African Americans step out their door, we have a target on our back. And at this point, for black and black women and black men, the list is too long. From Sandra Bland, Tamir Rice, Mike Brown, Khalif Browder, Eric Garner, it's just too many people having trust in the system and people who are to protect us and for them to betray that trust is hard for us and for people who have a privilege whether you're white americans use your privilege to endure in the fight that we have to go through each day when we walk out our doorsteps um it doesn't take nothing but the opportunity to do better for the human race both black and white people we just have to do better as one to understand each other so that way this place is a better place for our children you know so that when they step out those doors they don't have to worry about that target being on their back with that being said i'm dorian black with say what so guys for this last portion of the show today we want to talk on just like how to interact with white folks right um as a brown person because it can be tricky and there's no guidebook. And even in 2019, there unfortunately are white people that you still have to interact with in certain types of ways. So um, we kind of first want to get into talking about like when you're like just the only black person in a white space, mm -hmm. how to interact because you don't know really what kind of white people you're dealing with if you are the only black person, like from school, from your place of employment. Um, and you know, for me, one method that I've always used, I just sit back and observe. Mm -hmm. I don't say much unless I really am called to. And what I mean by that is like, you know, I'll, like when I was in college and I would have different discussions in class, unless someone was really saying some things that I needed to address, overall, I would just sit back, do my work, observe accordingly, and like put my input in where it was necessary. I never really like went out of my way to try to be white people's friends mm -hmm. or to educate them. I just educated myself and never let anyone put me in an uncomfortable circumstance. And same thing with, you know, my places of employment, you know, most places that I've worked, I've been the only black person. And once again, that's the same thing I do. I just sit back and observe. And unless it's some out of pocket things that need to be taken to HR, I don't, I let you just be to yourself and be what you're going to do. Um, for me, I just kind of, I guess, stem off what Kalu was speaking on earlier, saying you just be that respective forefront for black people. Mm -hmm. Like, I respect you if you respect me. I'm not going to be in here shucking and driving, singing my rap songs. Like, I'm going to be the respect. Well, first of all, this is a place of business, of professionality. So I'm here to do what I'm supposed to do play my role speak to you in a manner that you're supposed to be spoken to whether you're my colleague or my boss mm -hmm. and for me in my environments nine times out of ten I'm in a more black or urban setting so even when I do come across people of a different race I just be respectful mm -hmm. and that's the only thing I can do respect me how I respect you I think that's that 
old, you know, lesson that all black, you know, people were taught or just, I'm guessing all people in general, I can't really speak for other races. Um, but, you know, respect people the way you want to be respected type thing. Right. So it's like in any given space, uh, you know, I, I try to handle myself accordingly. Like, mm-hmm. obviously I'm, you know, I have, I'm ethnic. So, you know, <laughs> I, I do have the rap songs that I, I, I rap out loud or, you know, R&B songs that I might sing from time to time. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it boils down to its core, I, I show respect um, to my, the people around me. Right. Right? And, and, that, and that doesn't, that doesn't, that's not just isolated to uh, white people. That's just period, you know, because that's just how I was raised. So, I mean, uh, dealing with white people, uh, it can be tricky because you, you know, you're you're aware that, you know, they may have some feelings about how you, about you or uh, may feel some type of way about, you know, who you are as a person. Um, but again, that shows little about me and it shows a lot about you. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if I don't have, as an African proverb, if there's no enemy within, then there's no enemy without. So right. if I treat you with respect and I don't, I feel comfortable within myself, then I don't know why you should feel any other way. So, I mean, that's how I kind of view it. Um, mm-hmm. With dealing with certain spaces um, and being in certain areas that it's not predominantly uh, African or African-American or brown. Yeah, right. um, so, yeah. yeah. I, I think for me, if race isn't brought to the table, especially if I'm in an environment, like I have white colleagues. If race isn't brought to the table, if you're not saying you know, that casual racism, if you're treating me as a human being, then I don't, I'm going to see you as a human being. Right. Like the race isn't going to be an issue for me unless you bring it to my attention. Right. And I think also when we talk about interacting with white people, I think just be yourself. Like Mm -hmm. I'm not going to dim down my blackness for you at all. Like me, like I said, I've said this many times and I just think it's hilarious because it's like, like I said, I went to my job interview portraying one way, but as soon as I got hired, Miss Hart had the long braids and the long nails right back. Mm-hmm. I think it's anybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, they're acting a fool. Right. I can't remember. Just like, um, are you the same woman that we hired? Yes. <laughs> yes, I am. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, your blackness is unique. Like for me, being a black woman teacher, I have a lot of ups that my white uh, colleagues do not have. Mm-hmm. You cannot relate to the students in the same way. Right. You can't address them in the same way. Like, even with me, you know, I could give my students that tough love and them not feel threatened by it. Right. They, a lot of our kids be like, oh, Miss you like my mom. And they're okay with that because they are able to connect right. with something in me that reminds them of their blackness or something at home. You know what I mean? And then the fact that I'm young. And I use that to my advantage. And I, I've i never felt more, uh, like, fortunate. Like, I feel so fortunate every day to know that I am connecting to my kids in a ways that, like, oh, someone who isn't Black could never. Like, you could never in that way. Not saying that there aren't great white teachers right. who could connect. Because I, some of my favorite teachers from my high school are white. But to have a Black teacher and one who is very real with you... It, it could never match. So that's why I'm really big on being myself at work because I just feel like if I wasn't, my experience wouldn't be the same. Your impact would be completely different. Right. And of course you can't be 
you know, and like I said, being a teacher is different than if I was a CEO or like working at a company somewhere. Um, and I would definitely probably have to tone down some of my feistiness, mm-hmm. but at work as a teacher, I think feistiness is like more than welcome, especially when you're working in like an urban setting. Mm-hmm. So, and I think um, when it comes to working in those type of environments, like even when you have black colleagues, uh-huh. people who can relate. And you can have that discussion, like, listen, especially if someone's new to the job, you can mm-hmm. say, hey, listen, you have that one-on-one connection because obviously they're an outsider just how you're an outsider. Exactly. And it's, it feels good when you have other black colleagues that you can speak with and they understand, you know, some of your point of views. Mm-hmm. And so, like, from here on out for, you know, white people who are willing to listen and take part in some of the things we were talking on. Like, how do you think we can relate the message to them? Wait, what would you say? Uh, <laughs> what was the last part? So I'm guessing she's saying, how can you relate uh, the message to... Uh, I'm sorry, I like, oh, I thought I, like oh, drifted off the list. To, to the white, you know, listeners who are willing to engage. Right. You know? Um, I think you need to... You know, really ask them just how uncomfortable are they willing to get to talk about the circumstance? Because I think at first it can sound real good to like want to be a part of the conversation and to like want to be taught and to have an understanding. But once we really start to unpack some stuff, Mm -hmm. are you really ready to be that uncomfortable and to really face um, the realities of a lot of things? Right. And I think it's possible. I think white people just have to one try not to always like stop trying to be oppressed too. Like you have to just Mm -hmm. remove it. And you have to also like, just come to the understanding that, yeah, you were not like the direct vessel of like racism. That was like your ancestors, but you know, consequences, that's just the consequence of it. You know, like the consequence of my ancestors being slaves is that we're still facing those things now as black folks in 2019 so as a white person you have to understand like yeah I did not directly do this Mm -hmm. but people who look like me did this to other people and Mm -hmm. I'm still gonna face that and like one of my favorite like woke white people is um a woman named Jane Elliott I was just about to mention her I love her so Mm -hmm. much and she's so cute Mm -hmm. and I just feel like if there's a woman like her who grew up in like an all white conservative Mm -hmm. family and area and she's so woke and so understanding why can't we why can't other white people take on that ability to understand yeah because she's amazing i think it's the willingness to want to understand Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't want to understand. And they don't care to. Because it doesn't really affect them. Mm-hmm. But I know, I noticed like majority of people who are willing to listen and take heed to it are people who normally have mixed children. Because now their child faces discrimination because of part of who a part of who they are. Mm-hmm. And I think more people should just take into consideration and want to understand the other race. And I think black people should want to understand like you know, I think so. Like, we should want to understand each other. Because there's a reason why you don't understand. You feel what me? What exactly am I seeking to understand about white people? Well, not all, like, not to say not all white people are bad, but, like, I deal with white people. Mm-hmm. And, like, 
like the lady at my job, she's one of the sweetest people at my job. I never had any complaints, no type of form of racism, but to understand who she is as a person and understand, you know, because she even said growing up where she had a black friend, her dad had a fit that they came over. And that was just the environment that she grew up in. But now that she's older and she deals with majority of black people, right. she consider us black people as her girls because like, you know, she's an older woman. She loves us. Like, she's like a second mom to me. So mm-hmm. I think it's just understanding that barrier that we have between each other, especially for two people who are willing to listen and understand. Right. I feel like it's the it's like a veil, right? It's thin. Mm-hmm. You know, once you start poking at it, you know, it'll eventually, you'll eventually see that there's not that many differences between right. us. You know, the only oh, difference, the, yeah. the, the line drawn in the sand is that I look this way, you look that way. And right. if we're talking about phenotypes, I should just be discriminative about anybody who, uh, uh, you know, who looks a different way. That's that's kind of that's kind of wrong, you know, right. and, and, and at its basic element. So the conversation kind of starts with what you said. Right. Mm-hmm. Like um, they have to be willing to have the conversation, but more so uh, you got to be willing to build a relationship. Right. right? Because. It, it that's what it really boils down to. There's a there's a a, a distance between us mm-hmm. due to the lack of wanting to have the initial conversation. Mm-hmm. That's one, but then build a relationship afterwards um, right. that could be sustainable. Um, if that's not there, then yeah, you can be woke all you want. Mm-hmm. Um, but what is it? What does it gain? You know what I'm saying? What it, what do you get out of it? Okay, I'm I'm aware of the black experience. Mm-hmm. And if you uh, you get a lot, if you if that white person deals with themselves accordingly from that point on, okay, right, you're not a round of applause. Mm-hmm. But if <laughs> if if you're not like also saying to your other friends like that's wrong, and it's wrong because I am now aware of this, right. then that's where the problem comes in. Oh yeah, then that's like the same conversation that we even been having recently, like of like men not holding their rapist friends accountable. Like if once you start. I'm, no, no, no. Whoa. I'm saying that in comparison. Wait. Said, uh, <laughs> I'm saying that, like, in comparison to, like, when you are now aware of something, right. it is your job Definitely. to, like, educate the people around you. And if you're really an ally and an understanding person and mm-hmm. aware of that information, then you should no longer associate with yourself with people who differ. Right. And that understanding is I, my I just, comparison. I just want to go on a tangent and say if there's any guys out there who has racist friends, <laughs> I mean rapist friends, not racist, but rapist, <laughs> and you're still hanging with that person, you have a issue. You need to go get checked out yourself. Bro. Yeah. Not, I wasn't trying to like throw guys in the bus. I'm just trying to give a more like, like recent uh, example because that's something I've been seeing a lot. And mm-hmm. it's kind of like the same concept. Like, okay. You know, men, some men like to like, you know, throw the idea around about consent, but like, as and also as a white person, you want to throw the idea around about like, oh, black people are X, Y, and Z. But now if you're coming to that understanding about the real thing behind it, and you know that you need to educate the people around you and check other people, you know what I mean, to be on that page. Mm-hmm. Because I really wholeheartedly believe birds of a feather flock together. So if you're claiming that you're not a racist and that you're having an understanding, then if you're still hanging out with your racist friends and racist family, I don't know. Because that means you're still willing to tolerate tolerate that. Right. So 
Um, so I just want to go on it back to the Jane Elliott thing. Mm-hmm. It's a hard process to to have a person who is not aware of a certain experience and break them into a reality, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, as we've seen on those experiments that she did with the, the blue eye, brown eye, mm-hmm. you know, oh, yeah. situation. For the most part, white people are 110% aware of what's going on. Right. Mm-hmm. They're not oblivious to it, right? I mean, of course. the problem comes in is, are they willing to make a stand to make a difference about it? Mm-hmm. And that's where it comes in at, because she boiled down to the fact of saying, like, if you know what's going on, why aren't you saying anything about it? Right. And they all were quiet. You know, it was, it was, uh, you can hear a pin drop. And the reason being is because it's like, 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 do we say, Taylor said, you know, um, you know, like it's, it's not their, it's not their problem, you know, and that's how they kind of look at it. It's not their problem, but what they don't understand is they are the cause of the problem. We're just dealing with the effects, right? you know, but if it's not directly affecting you people, and I've said this before, if certain things aren't directly affecting someone, they seem to not really care about it. Right. You know, unfortunately. So, I mean, I think it's just a, it boils down if we're going to really like have this conversation about trying to get, you know, with the white listeners or, um, you know, white people in general to kind of understand that they're willing to have that conversation. They just have to be willing. Mm-hmm. One, two, um, they have to be, they have to understand that what might come out uh, of that conversation is a lot of emotion from generations. Right. So it's and, and a lot of facts sometimes from generations and they have to be willing to sit and, and sit in that moment and, and, and take that and endure that. Um, it's, it's not going to be like getting a, a, a whooping or a lash or a hanging, um, but it, it's going to be painful because now everything that you assumed you knew about yourself is going to have to come to the forefront. Mm-hmm. Um, all, all the darkness, you know, from your past is going to have to be addressed. And if you can't, endure that Mm -hmm. um then yeah the initial conversation might be hard for you you know that might be something that you might as as a listener as a as a white listener as a as a white person in general might not want to face right um so that's just the hard hard facts Mm -hmm. i don't know yeah i agree so guys we're going to slowly come to a halt um but we're going to wrap up the show today with our wild card segment. So stay tuned for that. So with this episode with us having a guest, we're going to be doing some Q&As with Mr. Khalil. And my first question is, how have you been spending your Black History Month? Um, So my Black History Month has been spent just being mindful mm-hmm. and being grateful of where I am currently as a result of those who were uh, where I can honestly say I do not want to be previously. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, my ancestors fought hard. Our ancestors fought hard um, to get to us to this plateau. And I, all I'm trying to do now is just push it further. So I'm trying to start a few businesses and mm-hmm. things like that. Okay. And I was um, just about to ask you, since like I know you were speaking a lot about finances, how have you been taking your part into making sure that your generation or your legacy is stamped with 
financial stability? Um, so that starts with first education. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to be willing to seek that information. It's not just going to fall in your lap. It's not just going to fall out the sky. Um, but the first thing is, I guess for me, it was like understanding, knowing that I did not know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think that's where the door kind of opens for you to ask the next question. Well, well, what is this? What is that? Right. And, and, and so what, I'm going to break it down. So pretty much I've been studying a lot of financial uh, uh, texts and, mm-hmm. and videos and watching a whole bunch of uh, things like that because it's, it's pivotal. But what I've been studying is, is credit. Mm-hmm. Um, what I've been studying is, you know, real estate, a lot of real estate. Um, you know, I do want to, you know, go into trucking, but trucking for financial reasons to mm-hmm. flip that money. And like, mm-hmm. I, I have a lot of, I have a, I have, I have, it's like steps, mm-hmm. you know, and just being mindful of those steps, um, taking, taking my time and, mm-hmm. um, pacing myself, uh, but having goals constantly in front of you, financial goals is important. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as far as saving, I want to give a quick tip out there. I learned this from a book called the richest man in Babylon. Mm-hmm. So if you don't know about it, please get it. It's a, it's a pivotal book, pivotal. Okay. But, uh, the concept is, um, pay yourself first. Yes, that's very pay important. Pay yourself first. If you're not paying yourself first, pretty much what you're doing is paying everybody else. Right. And by the end of the week, month, year, you, you will have nothing because you paid everybody else first. Mm-hmm. Now, in you paying yourself first, I would say, if I can give some numbers, some percentages, you should pay... If there's a if this 100 percent, you should pay 70 percent should go to bills. 70 percent right. of that 100 percent. So let's say if you're getting paid a uh, hundred dollars, let's go with that. Seventy dollars should be going to bills. Thirty, that rest the remaining thirty should be divided into three. So it should be uh, uh, what ten dollars, ten dollars, ten dollars. That should go to savings for future ventures. And then for tithing, if you go to church and that's how your money should go mm-hmm. as you get, you know, more fluent and acclimated as far as, you know, saving and investing and, and things like that. And once you have a nest egg to the side where you can go and, and, and reinvest that money for another venture right. or, you know, and put that money to the side for something, a rainy day. Um, once that's accomplished, then you can start changing those numbers. Mm-hmm. You know, then you can go, I might do 60 for bills mm-hmm. and put the other 40 to those other ventures. Mm-hmm. But that's pretty much the concept of the book, Richest Man in Babylon. I would say go get it. I would say, you know, empower yourself with that uh, literature. Um, it's also easily obtainable on YouTube. Mm-hmm. It's an ebook. There's no excuse. Um, but that's what I've been doing, man. Financial empowerment is great. Um, financial inclusion, great. Um, and I've been doing my part with, tr- you know, trying to get a few businesses off the ground, you know. So that's what I've been doing. And one last question. Um, do you participate in interracial dating or how do you oh feel about that? Ah, uh, she took it there. <laughs> yes. She took it there. Okay. I mean, we were talking it's about a very, white, so yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah. a very scary, slippery slope, like for I'm a black, for a black <laughs> man, right? I'm sitting here with two, you know, women, 
um, of color. So what's going to end up happening is if Just I do say the wrong truth, thing, I might get Molly Wobb. I might not make it out of this room. Um, all right. So all right, I'm going to say this. Um, um, I prefer my my people. Okay. I prefer African American women. If I was to go outside of my race, it would be brown. But I can't see myself going all the way white because it's just it's just not there. Like it's it's not it's not it's hard for a black man to step into that arena. Already we're already looked down upon by the whole race itself, the white race. And then it's like we're kind of like I, I can't see it. Like nothing in me. I don't know. Kanye West, I don't know how you did it, bro. <laughs> but um, like I can't see it. Okay, um, well, wonderful answer, young man. <laughs> Before we go, I have one final, final question. Okay. How did you enjoy your experience on our show? It was great. Like this is this is dope. Um, <laughs> this is dope. Like it, that, you know, I like I like startups. I like things that are from the muscle, and you guys are doing that, you know, wholeheartedly. Yes. Sir. So you know, I I give you guys a round of applause. I would love to be back on the show if you guys will let me. Of course. Um, you know. <laughs> no, but this is great. Like I, you know, I, bravos, kudos, Thank and I you. hope y'all guys do great, big Aww. things, etc. Thank you. So, yes, guys, this was our episode of Sounds About White, and we hope you enjoyed us and our wonderful guests. And you know, this is just one of our other episodes of our Black History Month theme. So we um, hope to talk to you guys soon. Bye.